I'm Manuel Rensink, Director of Innovation Strategy at Currency and host of the Finnovators podcast. All my views and my guest views are solely opinions and might not reflect the views of Currency. You should not treat any opinion by myself or my guests as an inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but solely as a personal expression of opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Paolo, you are the CTO of both Bitfinex and Tether, uh, as well as the co-founder of Whole Punch. Besides that, you're a well-known Bitcoiner and you're involved in Bitcoin initiatives in El Salvador and Plan B in, in Lugano, for instance. So before we delve into these topics, tell us a bit more about yourself. So what was your career path and and also your belief system that led you to become this this personality really in, in the crypto space? Yes, so um, I've been a coder for all my life. Um, I, I recall that the first computer I got uh, and uh, the first small, super small program I wrote was uh, a long time ago, 30 years ago when I was eight. Um, and uh, it grew as a passion. Um, I I cannot think my life without, without coding. I think that uh, he's... Uh, for me, at least, is a way to be creative, like a, like a pain, painter. But you just write code, and the magic happens. And so that that's something. So in a way, is a way to enable creativity to to explode. Um, and uh, you know, um, I um, coded throughout all my youth, and then went to the university, and there I. Uh, refine my mm, math and physics background. Um, I studied uh, computer science, uh, math applied to computer science. Um, and um, then I um, worked in, um, as a researcher for university. There was a fun project was about uh, um, high performance and higher Zealand communication systems for, you know, for military. Um, that was um, extremely exciting, although as I'm Italian, so as many times happens, um, you know, you you don't get paid much. Um, and uh, so I decided to look into something else and uh, bring the knowledge I grew that was basically in um, distributed applications and parallel computing and uh, higher signal networks in, into finance. I thought that, you know, finance was... Uh, um, exploding in a way, in a literal sense, because uh, when I came to the realization was 2007, 2008. And then um, I, so I started studying a lot of finance and then um, uh, I didn't know about Bitcoin yet because, but that was also 2008 was the time when Bitcoin was conceived. And um, I started building um, portfolio management systems for a few hedge funds between Switzerland and, and London. Then moved to London to uh, trying to create a company. Well, I created my own startup called ThinkCluster that would provide um, uh, cloud portfolio management systems to small and medium-sized hedge funds uh, in the city and throughout Great Britain and, and Switzerland. Um, and uh, then, you know, I discovered Bitcoin and <laughs> that everything changed because in a way, um, you know, you, you are in the financial sector and you know pretty well uh, how sometimes it is. Um, my daily challenge with my startup was 
not trying to solve complex problems, but was trying to optimize, trying to clean the data that the hedge funds that were my customers were getting from the different uh, you know, banks, uh, custodians, um, trading venues, uh, clearing firms. The data was a mess. And like 90% of the time was spent in trying to fix all these small issues. And then on the other side, I was reading about uh, Bitcoin and its uh, blockchain. That was a system that would allow everyone that was running Node to look at the very same data for because of the consensus, right? This algorithm that would make sure that everyone was or was looking at the very same data. So actually, you know, although you know, Bitcoiners tend to see that they, you know, they understand Bitcoin or understood Bitcoin, you know, from the beginning. Actually, I, the, the first realization that I had about Bitcoin was from the technical level. I, I liked the blockchain as a way to solve my day-to-day problems, right? Rather than uh, nowadays, I'm all over Bitcoin because of I truly believe that is the, the most, uh, the, 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 the currency, the perfect currency that enables freedom um, and you can see that much more in, in emerging markets, developing countries. But the the truth, the, the the simple truth for me at the beginning, Bitcoin was a way, was blockchain and was a way to uh, to to improve, optimize and reduce the cost of running a global financial infrastructure. And it's kind of true nowadays. I can see how CBDCs would go in that direction. Sorry if I jump from one thing to another, but you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking how you know I, I, I arrived to, 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 to today, and uh, you know, this is my train of thoughts. And uh, eventually, you know, I, I came to meet uh, Giancarlo, that was the CFO, Giancarlo De Vazzini, the CFO of Bitfinex, and you know, Bitfinex was an exchange, a Bitcoin uh, first exchange founded in 2012. Um, and the Bitcoin, uh, Bitfinex was uh, becoming uh, really quickly one of the most popular uh, exchanges back then. Um, and, but they had growing pains. Um, if you think about the exchanges um, you know, ecosystem in 2013, 14, more than trading platforms, there were um, I would say uh, e-commerces for Bitcoins, right? So, uh, and, and Bitfinex was not different. So it was, uh, you know, kind of slow. It was running, it was able to execute around 50 orders per second. That is, you know, compared to trading, uh, trading venues, traditional trading venues is like a drop in the ocean. And so given my experience, um, I was asked to help optimizing and, and, and speed up um, Bitfinex. And uh, so I joined in 2000, end 2014 and started working on the matching engine. I kept working for, for years just on the matching engine and, and the uh, low level APIs. And so moved from 50 orders per second to you know 1 million orders per second nowadays. And actually uh, it's still, um, of course, a part leading the uh, tech team in Bitfinex and the uh, strategy, I still write entirely the matching engine of Bitfinex uh, still until today. Um, still love doing that. And um, um, Bitfinex kept growing. Um, it's still one of the, the biggest, uh, biggest exchanges in the world. 
we are um, focusing on um, you know financial freedom and uh, and uh, you know trying to bring this uh, the ethos of Bitcoin around the world. In 2017, also I joined Tether uh, as CTO, and um, you know nowadays I'm, I'm leading the strategy in and developing markets. Of course, uh, I'm still I'm driving also the tech, the adoption of different blockchains, um, and um, you know all all these things. Okay, interesting. You were saying that you were really fascinated by by the technology, by this database, which has this kind of uh, unique governance characteristic. Of course, you said you, you you moved to the to Bitcoin as the financial asset, and you're a big proponent of that. But tell me a bit more about how freedom and and decentralization is important to you, yes. and how you're realizing that. For well, first of all, I'm having a I'm a big sci-fi passionate, and um, I, I'm, um, I like to think, and you know, in, in sci-fi movies and books, you have always these post-apocalyptic words, or you have like uh, these uh, dystopic words uh, sometimes. And uh, for some reason, my my brain has uh, is really stuck on that so my, my the way i approach things even in bitfinex even in centralized systems but in general in even more so in decentralized systems is creating something that um, as i sometimes refer resists to the wrath of god means that whatever happens right so you have in my opinion you have to always design a system especially if it's being said decentralized uh, in order to survive the most catastrophic events, and um, and also, and so I believe that uh, you know the uh, the world has gone through different uh, difficult times. Well, throughout the history, right? So you know, in generations and generation, we have seen a world uh, of pain, and uh, eventually it might happen again. And uh, I think that uh, currency. We are have now the technology to have to create a currency, and we did. That is Bitcoin. So humanity had the technology to create a currency that would survive to um, cataclysms, um, and that to me is why I'm. I was also so so interested to Bitcoin, and it happens that this very same currency is a currency that, um, given its strength and given the fact that you know, can resist to all uh, all kind of weird different scenarios. It can also resist to control. So it's in a way the fact that it can resist to control is what helps to uh, Bitcoin to resist to you know really different uh, geo geopolitical and um, you know in general um, geo uh, cataclysms. At the same time, the fact that can resist to cataclysms is also the thing is also the reason why you cannot control it because it's so decentralized is, you know, with with mining is so dispersed um, it, that can actually is actually game changer in that sense. And so I like the fact so the, as I said, I like the fact that is uh, is something that can remain for generations unmodified. And at the same time, I like the fact that, uh, you know, I come. I'm Italian. I, you know, spend my time in Switzerland, but also in London and, uh, you know, in in Europe in general. Um, and uh, I feel like uh, people living in Europe, including myself, until three years ago, are not really understanding well that 
Europe and North America are um, in a unique position where they they see things differently just because they didn't go through the pain that uh, you know many emerging markets uh, are going through and went through um, recently. And so I feel like sometimes when we look at the technology like Bitcoin, we are forgetting that uh, you know there are people in this world that don't have a bank account or they are under a different uh, um, government style that is quite oppressive and they need the technology that cannot be disrupted, a technology that cannot, a currency that cannot be controlled, just because they cannot rely on their own governments. Not saying that Europe can always rely on its own government. So also Europe, I think that would better start looking seriously at Bitcoin. Unfortunately, we are seeing that there are some uh, different uh, waves of, uh, of reforms that might um, tend to you know, d- diminish the importance of Bitcoin in Europe. But nevertheless, in general, I think that uh, we are seeing and what I am excited about is Bitcoin being becoming a currency after uh, you know, 14 years, becoming a currency that is actually helping nations like El Salvador, like uh, Argentina, like Turkey, um, that are and, and Ghana and, and Nigeria, uh, they are these, these and Venezuela and you can count so many others. They need a currency so that it's a, it's a lifeline for them, right? So, and in Turkey, in, in 18 months, you had 140% inflation. It's insane. So, um, these guys, these fellows, need, really need something that is stronger, something that they can hold in their hands. Right in the throughout the entire history, especially in in um, in uh, in uh, poorer countries, people were holding onto gold. Right, they had their small stash of gold under the pillows because that gold could be, you know, you, you could if you have to flee your own country or your seat, you could have, grab that stash and 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 run. Right, because gold was um, universally accepted and understood. And that's that's in a way Bitcoin is a digital version of gold, and um, and uh, I I I really like the fact that uh, it's uh, it's after just so few years because remember it's it's just 14 years we are seeing uh, Bitcoin at the on the front page of uh, many um, in all the medias and also on the agendas of government governments to understand it or you know or being concerned about. Just because they understand, everyone understands nowadays that Bitcoin is not controllable. Not even China, that is uh, you know, the most powerful um, country in the world nowadays, I believe, um, could control Bitcoin. And that tells a lot. So I think that we did a really fine job in not me. Well, of course, I'm, uh, I'm no one. But uh, in general, the community, the, 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 this community did an, an, a great job in, in, uh, in nurturing uh, Bitcoin. And... Um, and, and going on the very same direction, uh, few well, a few years ago is nowadays, you know, around seven years ago, I um, I started thinking that uh, you know Bitcoin was was great, but uh, in order to fulfill the concept of the individual sovereignty, right? I'm I'm still I'm consider myself a, a, a sort of activist when it comes to also um, human rights, and I I feel like privacy and uh, you know, freedom of communication is as important as freedom of money. I I, I started, you know, to work with uh, other developers um, to build um, a networking layer that uh, nowadays is called Hole Punch, 
that is, uh, in a simple way, is BitTorrent for communications, but also is from the ethos point of view, I would consider it a Bitcoin of communications in the sense that there is no token, there is no blockchain, is an open protocol, um, is encrypted, is fully peer to peer. And, uh, you know, we, we don't, there is, is so, um, open is, uh, you know, that, and there is nothing inside. There is no token that, uh, you know, we cannot make money out of it. We are just creating it because we feel is, um, is the most important thing to do to continue in the in the same direction that uh, uh, that Bitcoin opened for us. Mm-hmm. So on whole punch, uh, I mean, I, I would assume that most people know Bitfinex as as being one of the oldest and most established exchanges since 2012, and of course Tether as the as the largest and most traded stablecoin. But uh, whole punch uh, you mentioned there. So we can think of this as a uh, unique peer-to-peer protocol for communications. Uh, there's a few use cases, I, I believe. Uh, first, uh, chat, right now browser chat and, and soon mobile chat, I believe. And then also secure video communications. I even saw a use case where it could be used for uh, baby cameras, for instance, uh, which are uh, famously uh, always getting hacked and uh, always making yeah. the news so so that's interesting so you're taking this uh, ethos of privacy and decentralization from blockchain from money to communications as well with whole punch that's interesting and i believe also you're you're working or you're applying whole punch to some of the services provided by bitfinex is that correct yes yeah, so um Definitely, the first application that we did, what we created with Hole Punch was actually Keet, K-E-E-T dot I-O. That is a peer-to-peer video and uh, chat app. So the first, the reason why we focused on that as a first use case was um, actually to, to prove that, in a way, cloud is a big lie, because we have been talked by. Uh, big tech, right, by you know, Google, Apple, um, you know, Microsoft, Zoom, that in order to talk to your friend, you have to pass through their data centers. Um, and we wanted to show that is not actually true. We wanted to show that we could build a better product, a faster product, a cheaper product, you know, without the need of any data center. Actually, the data centers are the bottleneck of, of everything. So imagine this simple scenario, right? So I am sitting at the desk and I have a friend in, uh, in the same city and I send him a message on WhatsApp. What will happen when I press send, that message will travel thousands of kilometers to the nearby, the most nearby uh, WhatsApp data center, Facebook data center, and then that message will be routed back to my friend in the same city that is two kilometers from me, one kilometer from me. The internet was built to be peer-to-peer, right? So where, you know, devices could connect to each other. But due to the fact that there are economical incentives, um, that is not uh, true anymore. And we have been always told that is because our devices are not powerful enough and capable enough to connect to each other. 
and that it was it was true for like a Pentium 286, but suddenly is not true for an Intel Xeon or or for a powerful iPhone. So what we did is actually we it took seven years to build this underlying networking layer called Hole Punch. That is again based on BitTorrent. If you remember, BitTorrent is the king of uh, file sharing. And it is the only thing that survived to all the possible attacks from you know left and left and right. Because it used the actually BitTorrent is the first big use case of hole punching techni technique. That is a way for two devices, so two phones, one phone and one computer, and so on, or two computers, to connect directly, even if they are behind firewalls without any problems, without any central servers or intermediates, intermediaries. So, and that was BitTorrent that, that uh, started using that heavily. It was a known uh, technology before, but uh, BitTorrent put it in add to action in a, on a large scale. And BitTorrent also sold, use another approach. It, so in order for people to advertise the, the files that they could share from their computer, they, was, they were using this technology called distributed hash table, DHT. That was a, is a big global database that doesn't stay on one single server. It's like a database that is divided by the number of nodes that are composing that network. And so suddenly you have this unstoppable file sharing system. And what we thought was, if a file sharing system that could allow peers devices to exchange terabytes of movies or files or whatever was good enough 15 years ago. Why we are not using the very same idea and technology, of course, improved after 15 years to do video communications or to do internet communications. And that's exactly what we did. So we took this technology, we worked for seven years on top of it, and we wanted to show that now we can have a video chat that, by the way, works from Dubai, works from China, works from, from everywhere, because it's there is no way to, you know, the, the way certain countries are, are banning communications. It's just they are banning the IPs of the different data centers. It's super simple. But if you start connecting one devices when, a device with another device, you cannot do that anymore. It's too complex to ban the communication because also the communication is encrypted. So no one knows the metadata. So this is why I'm saying that is Bitcoin for communications, because it's really unstoppable in that sense. And so um, if you try heat, you will see that, first of all, the latency of the communication, the video chat or the audio chat is insanely lower than anything else. So you chat with your friend. First of all, you can go 4K for as a video chat because it's just based on your bandwidth and, you, and your friend's bandwidth. You can, I can share with you a four gigabyte file, right? Imagine that I drop in the chat a four gigabyte video. And you usually, the way it works, right, in a simple way, imagine that you are on Zoom. Zoom blocks you after 100 megabytes. But let's say that for, for an, as an hypothesis that you could drop a four gigabyte video on, on Zoom. The way, Zoom client would work is that this video would be uploaded to Zoom server, so it takes some time. And then I, as you can, you can download it and play on your computer. But in, uh, in Kit, we are demonstrating the power 
of uh, the DHT and hole punching and swarming. That was the other beautiful technique that BitTorrent um, created or started to adopt massively. Swarming is, if you remember, imagine that you had like a file on your computer and then another device would start downloading that file. That other device, or let's say that one or your friends would start downloading that file. Then while he was downloading it, he could start sharing some chunks of that file with other people. And as a chain reaction, the, the download would become much faster. So what we are doing is that imagine that there are 10 people in a chat, in a chat room. I drop a four gigabyte file, video file. You can immediately, immediately, as soon as I drop the file in the chat, start pl pressing play. And you can start streaming directly from me. But while you're streaming, the, the other friends in the chat can download it from me and from you and so on and so forth. So it becomes insanely faster. So that's why it doesn't, it's, I can still have big chats with many people and not have my bandwidth being choked because we are still applying the very same techniques that BitTorrent was using. And the beauty of it is that since you don't have to download the entire video from me, that is what you would do with Zoom because you can move the slider or the video at you know half time and you just download the new chance. So it's a completely different experience. The latency is lower because we don't pass through data centers. It, heat and hole punch will always find the shortest path to connect the peers. So that's the beauty of it. So that's why you can see uh, that I'm quite passionate about, about that, but because it took so many years to, to nail the technology. And now if you think about it, it can be used to on so many things. As you know, I'm, I'm still, well, of course, I'm super passionate about finance. And, you know, what I think is that financial data is concentrated in, in, in a few hands. And like Bloomberg has, you know, access to the majority of, uh, of uh, financial data. But I feel like, and they are the ones that are monetizing it most than anyone else. And what if we can use a protocol like a hole punch to actually create feeds? And we are doing that with Synonym. We can, we are creating, you know, open source data feeds that anyone can, you know, can, so it's, it's just a protocol feed and doesn't is by, by definition, there is no token inside, right? So anyone can take it and then you can decide. So you can publish your market data feeds, your financial feeds to anyone. And uh, you can decide if, um, you know, if you want to be paid or not, if you want to be paid, you can choose whatever currency, right? So I'm a big fan of uh, decoupling the data from the payment. So you, want, you can decide to give your data for free or you can decide to be paid. Then if you want to be paid, we support uh, like network, support Tether, but you can add anything because any other payment system because it's, it's free, it's open source, right? But that is another big thing. And we are demonstrating with Bitfinex that we are going to create the first, we are putting out all our financial feeds that we produce in Bitfinex for free out there, right? Anyone can take it and, and, and reuse it and, and so on. But we, we will encourage other exchanges, trading firms, market makers to produce their own feeds. Be paid or not, it doesn't matter. But then you can have aggregators and um, we can you know, make a, an economy that is based on finance that is more open. Because not, not, not everyone can afford to pay you know, $1.5,000 per month to, for a Bloomberg terminal, right? So that is the thing that I believe 
as humanity you know grows everyone more and more people need access to financial data because nowadays a student cannot afford that a student you know have to go on uh, you know yahoo finance and, and trying to get some data that that's that isn't fair the more data the if data is free and the i think that um, the progress of humanity will be much faster and and so you know um it was the ethos of internet to have access to to allow access to 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 you know information and not saying that information has to be free again information should be paid and good information should be paid but should be paid in a fair way right it shouldn't be hold you know hostage by few companies i see and that obviously uh, uh keith and hopons have very broad applications interesting how you uh, you link it to the back to the financial world there as well and that that taking you back to your early days in finance of course with regard to the technology it sounds a little bit like the way of optimizing this uh, data distribution sounds a little bit like netflix the way they optimize their streaming is is that correct or is am i of the mark? so netflix has an interesting model definitely they are the, the biggest streaming company in the world i think that uh, they are making like two percent of the entire internet traffic or something like that so but so netflix rightfully well they they have their own centralized business model but they are trying to um rely on um, you know trying to reduce the their the burden on their data centers trying to optimize you know the the streaming through different geographical locations and so on so it's extremely interesting uh but of course being a private company that makes money on ensuring that they have full control over data um is their limitation factor right so basically we go back to the point where you know we don't want we are as well private companies but we don't want at all to be in the mix of anything so the point is reduce intermediaries i have a file on my computer i need to send it to you with no middleman simple as that and so in a way i can argue that uh, we could do a much better netflix than netflix through whole bunch Okay, I got it. Interesting. Um, now you uh, you are the the public face of uh, both Bitfinex and Tether, uh, and now also Hole Punch. So where, for instance, I and I and I guess most of my audience wouldn't even know who is the, for instance, the CEO of Bitfinex or or of Tether and uh, and Hole Punch. So is this by design, and how did this happen? is much simpler than than uh, what people would think. So both Bitfinex and Tether, right? Bitfinex started in 2012 and Tether started in 2014. And um, you know, both the um CFO and CEO of Bitfinex and Tether, um uh, respectively Giancarlo De Vasini and uh, Jean-Louis uh, van der Velde have been, you know, entrepreneurs for all their uh, entire their lives and but they have also been private people. When we all enter in Bitcoin, no one could get I couldn't I couldn't think that we would become so big as companies, right? So, we it was about passion, it was about, you know, helping the technology and uh, not everyone wants to be on the spotlight, right? So, the companies are still private and the uh, sometimes you you are just not interested in in that and um is a fintech company um we are both 
you know, Bob Bitfinex, et cetera, and, and a whole bunch of fintech, but more tech companies, I would call them. And I'm fine going out there to speak about both financials and the technology in a way they are uh, fairly interlinked since we are, you know, it's about crypto, the crypto is finance and blockchain altogether. So um, there is, okay, the, the right term that was also simple, there is no conspiracy theory, it's simple as that. By the way, um, uh, Giancarlo and JL are speaking. So, you know, it, in our world, although we, we like to think that uh, everything is decentralized, since both Tether and Bitfinex are centralized companies, and especially Tether relies on on banking and good banking because it holds um, you know a, a lot of capital, their role is actually talking to regulators and talking to the banks and talking to the big customers. So um, there is no big customer that didn't have the chance and or or didn't hear daily from Giancarlo, for example. It's it's. The business is is critical. I have the simple job of going around and then talking about technology. That they are actually the ones that are, you know, ensuring that we have a great relationship with the banks. Yeah. Okay. You're being modest there. I don't think it's a simple job, and um, you know, you're representing something that is. Uh, especially when it comes to data, sometimes uh, controversial, it gets a lot of uh, negative uh, criticisms, it gets a lot of fud. Um, you know, you have millions of people on, on crypto Twitter, of course, that you have to deal with. So it, I, I I don't envy you that role, but so I think you're you're quite brave. <laughs> and, and then to do that for, for three companies. So, but then on on uh, Tether, of course, it's uh, it's now the uh, the the number three crypto by market cap. It's the number one crypto by a trading volume. There's more that are being traded every day than Bitcoin and Ethereum combined. Uh, and it's, it's, for instance, you know, I think 10x the, the, the volumes of uh, your, your nearest competitor, uh, USDC. So obviously, Tether has become systemically very important. And that's why your, your C-suite has to, of course, uh, engage with regulators and so on. Um, it's also... Tether has been a very important building block when it comes to uh, DeFi. So I was wondering, what is what are your opinions on uh, Ethereum, which is host to most of the DeFi world, and, and DeFi ecosystems themselves? I don't hear you talk that much about it, so I'm really curious what, you, what your opinions are here. So I find DeFi uh, really interesting. So I have um, mixed feelings in general. Not because, um, no, I don't want to enter too much in the politics of it, but I feel like, so DeFi is a really interesting model, right? But at the same time, you know, we nowadays, of course, after FTX, we tend to argue that DeFi is uh, is uh, a better use case than centralized exchanges, for example. That in a way it is, but at the same time, we, you know, sometimes the memory of humans is is quite short. And I, but I really re well remember all the DeFi rug pulls in the last uh, two years and a half or three years, right? So I think the the end problem of everything is always the human being um, rather than you know the uh, the technology. And so um, I think that DeFi had um, few great years and uh, is set to still grow. But might still be subject, might be subject. I mean, I'm still, I'm also uh, talking a lot myself with, with the regulators. And I feel like DeFi has two main uh, advantages, I would say, compared to centralized um, exchanges. 
for example. The first one is um, non-custodial. So you have money on, on your ledger, for example, and as long as you, you can deploy them on a DeFi, for example, you, uh, to, you assign them to a smart contract. And as long as the smart contract is safe, and that is a big Western mark, uh, then you are kind of safe and no one can steal the money from you. That's beautiful. That is something that is a big win compared to a centralized exchange. The second big win so far is uh, privacy. So, of course, exchanges, more and more centralized exchanges are subject to, um, uh, to the travel rule, for example. So, and additional increase in KYC requirements. But at the same time, you know, it is becoming clearer and clearer that in a way, the size of DeFi, or let's put it another way, I'm, uh, we are hearing more and more regulators being interested to uh, make sure that DeFi will move to the same um, or will have the same KYC AML requirements than centralized exchanges. And the argument is that it's entirely possible because you can apply, for example, uh, allow lists to, to DeFi. So you can argue that. And so if people would care only about, uh, uh, you know, keeping or holding their own um, uh, money, so the non-custodial aspects, that would be still fine, right? So because you know you can still hold your own money, you can still have full control over your assets because a DeFi will still be a non-custodial. But at the same time, you might be uh, subject to uh, the same KYC AML requirements than um, than centralized exchanges. Because the truth is that although we like to think that DeFi is um, is created by these big DAOs, uh, where so DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations where, you know, it's um, there is no central coordination. The 99.9% the .9 of these projects have central coordination. So the point is that regulators will knock on the door of these groups and say, well, now and tell them, now you have to add the same KYC and ML practices that centralized exchanges have to, to, to buy to. So um, what I see as a future of DeFi is uh, non-custodial still, that is great. I really like that. Probably uh, they will lose uh, the hedge on, uh, on, on privacy because KYC and NL um, uh, requirements will be tight enough for, for DeFi. Um, and, but you have, you have also downside that is speed, right? For example, you know, uh, Bitfinex matching engine can process 1 million transactions per second because you have, you know, one single server, multiple cores, you can use all the performance you can there, right? You can squeeze as much performance as you can from that environment. With, um, with DeFi, you still rely on a blockchain. Even the fastest blockchain that is Solana has some troubles and even it's, it has a 400 millisecond block time. So it means that all the actions will be um, propagated every 400 milliseconds. So it's still completely another world compared to uh, centralized exchanges in terms of performance. So basically my point is that I feel like DeFi has a big role to play, but we, we DeFi will likely change shape compared to what we have been seeing so far in the past few years.
Okay, and what do you hold of the argument that um, you know centralized exchanges like Bitfinex that have these uh, fiat and banking system uh, connections on and off ramps that those should be regulated and that you know DeFi it being code, it not having uh, these these on ramps and these uh, uh, links back into the real world except through these centralized exchanges that that would remain unregulated. And anyway, oh, it's code, and it. anyway, we don't know where it sits. And yes, if, even if you know uh, some of the founders, the code is out there and it's immutable on the internet. Well, there. First of all, don't don't get me wrong. I I think that DeFi should remain free. But uh, what my my fear is that uh, you know the the regulators have a different opinion. So uh, unfortunately, I don't make the rules. And uh, the the second issue is that uh, you would be right. Um, in a sense that, or well, of course, you know, I, this is my just my opinion. But my opinion, the the fact that uh, I completely agree that code is freedom. That's why I'm doing all punch, right? That is the biggest expression of code is freedom. But there is a big difference. Whole punch doesn't make money. So if you are a small group and you take a fee, a cut of uh, the, all the money that is made by a certain smart contract. In a way, regulators can still argue that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> that uh, is a centralized model. So if you are serious about decentralization, you shouldn't hold the contract, uh, you know, by its attributes in a, <laughs> in a way. Right. So you should let it run free. The more ties you have with a specific single group, the, le- the lower the arguments that it's actually a decentralized program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And what about the safety of smart contracts? Do you think a smart contract can be totally safe? I think so. I mean, we are seeing some smart, I, I think we are seeing some, for example, Aave or I think Curve, they never never got hacked so far. So I think that there are ways to create uh, safe smart contracts. And of course, it takes time and it takes ton of reviews. And um, but so I'm... Um, as in normal in in all the different situations, it's normal to you know you still rely on the human being. Good coder, great quality of the code, no issues. You know, average a coder or a rushed up coder, um, you know, you still you end up in in having big problems in terms of uh, of uh, security. You mentioned earlier CBDCs. What about CBDCs? Are they are they evil? Is there a role for them? Are they inevitable? What is your opinion? How do they compare to USDT? Yeah, so that is, you know, a really interesting question because I feel like um, sometimes we tend to look at it from, in, from the wrong perspective. So first of all, I would start with the argument that it's unthinkable that imagine, let's pick Europe, for example, the Central Bank of Europe. They, let's not believe for a second that Europe will launch their stablecoin, their, their CBDC on Ethereum or Solana or Avalanche or any other currency, right? Imagine the European Central Bank have to deal with uh, the Ethereum fork from proof of work to proof of stake and choosing which one to su- support and so on, right? So no way. So the only way um, CBDCs will only run on permissioned blockchains. There is no other way around. Now, uh, maybe a small country in the middle of the ocean will will use Ethereum, right? But 
you know, big countries, important currencies will have their own um, currency. Also, CBDCs are tricky for also for the government. Now, governments all, all want to rush in saying all the governments want to say we are working on a CBDC. But the truth is that it's extremely risky also from their side. Right now, for example, the, 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 the CBDC could replace the cash. But the thing is that cash doesn't hold interest. If you are uh, creating a CBDC, would the governor, would the central bank allow interest on that money? Because in the end, money is already digital. So, but it sits on banks and it sits on a really poor banking technological infrastructure. So the way, so CBDCs would make sense um, in order to optimize and reduce the costs of the banking system. So going back to the beginning of my history in finance, I think that you know, the technological financial industry infrastructure is kept together by rubber and bands. If suddenly they, all the interbanking settlement systems would use blockchain technology, that would be an immense cost-saving uh, operation. And that makes sense to me, because in a way, again, money is already digital. But the difference is that when you start asking every single one of your citizens to start interacting with that blockchain, and you start asking every one of your citizens to hold that currency that is already digital, then you have multiple choices, right? So you have to decide what you want, where you want to go. Because of course, first of all, there is the dystopian future where nowadays, if I buy a coffee at Starbucks, the central banks wouldn't know, right? So only my bank would know because they settled transaction, but you know, it's, the data is much more fragmented. And so, but I, that is a big issue, both the government could be interesting for certain governments, but also is a huge issue in terms of privacy laws. So the entire privacy laws, especially in Europe, there are really severe privacy laws. Imagine the GDPR, think about it, right? So how, how even the central bank could comply with the GDPR? Are they, they could open up to lawsuits in a certain way if they mismanage the data. So it's enormous risk. The second big risk is, um, is interest. So if money becomes digital, why, you know, why, um, so can they apply positive interest and can they apply negative interests or should they apply only positive or negative? So in this moment, people hold cash and on cash, they, there is no positive, no negative interest. So there are so many unknowns that before taking the step of, uh, from a central bank to, to replace cash, cash and go full in, into a CBDC, I think will pass still many, many years. I agree that there is uh, no way that uh, CBDCs will be on public uh, blockchains anytime soon. I also don't think that they will uh, go down to the retail level, but rather stay at wholesale level, uh, if anything. Agreed. But imagine that there is a world where yeah, where you do have a CBDC on a on a blockchain. What then is the role of of Bitcoin, for instance, Do you, would you see CBDC as the one that 
that allows a certain kind of transparency and certain kind of uh, breach of privacy, when, uh, but perhaps accepted by society and, and Bitcoin to be like the cash as we have it today. Let's say the paper cash will disappear and Bitcoin will now be the, the digital cash. Would that be well, a huge case? Well, I think that Bitcoin is the last resort cash. Is so the problem if is CBDCs would still be um, censorable, right? So if you have your own national currency, but on a blockchain, doesn't matter, right? So the the the, the central bank or you know who is running the CBDC could still um, could could still block your 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 uh, money. Imagine the classic example is. If you don't delete that tweet, you cannot, you, your transaction will be declined, right? So that is what Bitcoin is for. As I said at the beginning, you have always to think to the worst case scenario. Eventually, uh, I hope not, but history says that things always go wrong eventually. And at that moment, you want to have a currency that you can rely on. Absolutely. As we are uh, wrapping up now, we have about five minutes left or so. From your interactions with regulators, policymakers, how confident are you that in Europe and the US, they will find the balance between allowing for innovation as well as protecting consumers? Or have you seen a shift in attitude, maybe post FTX and all the other debacles, where it's now more an attitude of, uh, well, no, when in doubt, ban it? So I don't think that Europe and US will ban um, cryptocurrencies. First of all, I think that if they would do this move, they will give the entire hedge to emerging markets. Emerging markets will will get so many ta- so much talent, um, and will eventually, in the long run, become potentially even more powerful, especially than Europe, because you really don't. So it, this technology is loved by many developers, right? It's about code, it's about freedom, right? So there is no way to stop an idea. And to me, it, what we are working on is an idea, right? An ideal. So I think that they won't ban it, but I think that uh, it's likely that they will, at least in the short term, they will overreact on FTX. And I can see that already. But so the discussions with regulators were not that easy before. So nowadays are even harder because they always point back to FTX. But the the, the answer to regulators is actually that uh, you know what FTX did was illegal on on <laughs> an impossible way, independently from the crypto side of it, right? So we we don't need more more rules to protect ourselves from FTX. That was anyway illegal. So, but we hopefully we, we can make our case with uh, more and more with the with the, with the regulators. We are we are working. We have a team that engage with the, with the regulators to try to explain our point of view. And I know that many other crypto firms are in the same condition. We always are trying to regain the ground that we lost with with FTX. Um, so. I unfortunately I feel like the lo- short term will be much harder and harsher and but the medium and long term uh, you know things will shift in the right direction that will foster innovation. 
Mm -hmm. And do you think that uh, we have seen most of the fallout or or is there more to come? Perhaps the DCG entities could still shock the markets, uh, maybe Wobi, maybe Binance. So is there more fallout to come or do you see 2023 to be, do you see it in a positive light? Are you expecting some good things? So I think that uh, in 2023, we might see a few more fallouts. Um, you know, you, you name the elephant in the room um, nowadays, and that has a lot of Bitcoin under his, uh, his pillow. And, um, you know, who knows what will happen there. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin I'm, and the crypto in general, I'm always positive and bullish myself uh, with no financial advice intended, but this might, might be. Um, so I think that um, uh, we are seeing, we are going to see, though, a recovery. People are, you know, kind of fed up. And uh, there is an interesting fact to me is that, uh, in a way, if you want to buy, if you are an institution and you want to buy a serious amount of Bitcoins, it's really hard nowadays because no one is selling Bitcoins anymore. So it's really hard to find, to find Bitcoins to buy. And that tells a lot, right? So I think that, uh, you know, for, for how much we are, uh, we, we, we saw so much. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the pro problem is that there is not much left, uh, at least when it comes to Bitcoin to sell, in, in my opinion. Um, for the rest, you know, they, they have yeah, other tokens might have different supply models, but um, I, I, that's why I'm just referring to Bitcoin in this, in this case. Um, but uh, I'm uh, positive for 2023 uh, with Tether. I just want to say that, uh, you know, we at least in 2022, we demonstrated that although many were scared or at least there was so much fun around Tether, Tether is the only thing that resisted in a way, right? So it's... Um, I think that is a good uh, is a good example of uh, of a, a company well run. Paolo, that was great. Thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you for yours. It was it was nice. I really appreciated the chat. <laughs>